such a part of it is the pure sense of adventure. Like how cool is it to feel so free that you can put a backpack on and walk out the door and you can take care of yourself for the next six months without having to worry about more than how far do I want to walk today? Right. What am I going to eat for dinner today? Do I have enough water in my pack? Right. And I find being out in these nature spaces, I can kind of go to battle with some of the hard stuff emotionally. Mm. And I can kind of get a sense of calm from what sometimes feels like a very artificial stress that the structures of society kind of create. Okay. And at the same time, it's, it's like a little dose of therapy. And I've right. never been happier than when I live so simply. You're listening to the Sasquatch Trail Runners Podcast, where every run is a trail party. I'm your host, Kim Levinsky, and today's episode is the recording from our Facebook Live interview series on Wednesday, June 16th, 2021. We sat down with thru-hiker Stephanie Langner to hear all about her upcoming thru-hike of the Pacific Crest Trail. So sit back and relax, or go out and hit the trails, and enjoy the show. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Ultra Pancakes. These pancakes are packed with everything you need to complete your next ultra marathon. Protein, carbs, and fun are the perfect combination. Now available in three amazing flavors, pickle pancakes, flat coat pancakes, and quesadilla pancakes. Order a box of Ultra Pancakes today by visiting ultrapancakes.com. Use the code SASQUAD, S-A-S-S-Q-U-A-D, to score one box for free. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our next episode of the Run Venture Facebook Live series. My name is Kim Levinsky, and I am the owner and race director for Sasquatch Trail Runners in New Jersey. Tonight, I will be interviewing the wonderful Stephanie Langner to hear all about her upcoming through hike of the Pacific Crest Trail, which is happening next week. Uh, before we jump into the interview, I'm going to share a few updates with you on what is happening in the wonderful world of Sasquatch trail running. The Midnight Squatch of Palooza, that's happening on the 27th of June. You can sign up for 12 hours, 6 hours, 3 hours, or a 5K that starts at midnight. And again, that is down in Burlington County. The town is called Columbus. So you can sign up for that on ultrasignup.com. And um, that will be happening next weekend. After that, we are headed to the South Mountain Reservation in Milburn, New Jersey for the Fat Sass Switchback Challenge. That is a one mile loop, which is basically complete opposite of the fairgrounds race. This course goes straight up 300 feet and then straight down 300 feet. So you want to complete that loop as many times as you can in three hours, six hours, or you can do three loops for a 5K. And then I'm so excited to share with you um, that our event for the end of July, which is on July 31st at Harriman State Park in Tuxedo, New York, that is sold out. It's sold out in just a couple of weeks from when we opened it up. We are co-hosting that event with our friends at the New York, New Jersey Trail Conference. We are raising funds for their current project to rebuild the historic Ramapo Dunderberg Trail. So if you missed out on registration, I'd encourage you to get on to ultra sign up and add your name to the waitlist. I'm sure that we're gonna have some cancellations. So the, the quicker you get on there, the higher up your name is and we'll go in order of who signed up first on the waitlist when we have cancellations. So that is about all the events that we have for the summer. I do wanna mention we are doing a newbie slash back at the pack trail run uh, next Wednesday. You can find out 
more information on that on our Facebook page. Invite you to come out if you're new to trail running or you've ever gone on a group run and you feel like you're in the back of the pack, this is the group run for you. So all paces are welcome. It's a no drop run. We're gonna do that at the South Mountain Reservation in West Orange, New Jersey. That's on uh, next Wednesday night. Then for our interviews, we have a few more coming up in the next couple of weeks. Next up is on June 30th. We're going to sit down with the fabulous Rebecca Fitzgerald. She is the superintendent at High Point State Park, and she is a very dear friend to Sasquatch Trail Running. On July 14th, we are interviewing sports dietitian Dina Griffin, aka the Nutrition Mechanic. And on July 28th, we will be interviewing the one and only Don Weiss from the New York, New Jersey Trail Conference. I know he's on here watching tonight. So you don't want to miss that interview. I call him the Trail Ninja. This guy knows, I think, every single trail in New York and New Jersey. He is an amazing guy, great friend to Sasquad, and he's been kind of our liaison between the Trail Conference and Sasquad Trail Running. We do a lot of fundraising for the trail conference. We are big, big supporters of all that they do to uh, maintain the 2000 miles of trails in New York and New Jersey. So you can learn more about the rest of our events for 2021 on our website, which is sasquadtrailrunning.com. So, okay, the reason you are all here is Stephanie Langner. She is to my left. I'm gonna read her Squatch-tastic introduction. There's so much on here. I'm gonna save pretty much all of it for the interview. I won't give too many spoiler alerts, a couple of them though. So Stephanie has a long list on her hiking resume. Few of the highlights, she has completed the Appalachian Trail, 2,100 plus miles. She's completed the Long Path, which is over 350 miles. The Long Trail, those are two different two different ones. Long Trail is in Vermont. That's about 270 miles. And also the Northville Placid Trail in the Adirondacks, which is almost 140 miles. So she has been teaching middle schoolers. Oh my goodness. She must have the patience of a million people uh, <laughs> the past 11 years. <laughs> but she just turned in her resignation this past year. Her last week of teaching is uh, this week, and she's about to start her through hike of the Pacific Crest Trail next week, a week from today. Uh, so this past week, when I have been telling my friends about this interview, I describe what she's doing, what she's and uh, what's coming up. I said she's she sold the apartment, she's quit her job, she's going to the PCT, and each person I've said, literally, they say, "Wow." She is living the dream. That has been the response that I've gotten. And it's so true. So uh, if you're listening to this, watching live or listening on the replay, write down her website. It's mountainsoflearning.com. You can check out uh, so many great things on that site, a nice blog. And um, there's going to be some great recaps of the PCT in the next few months. So as you're listening, drop your questions in the live chat and I will do my best to get to all of them. We already have several that came in today through Facebook and I have those ready to go right here in my notes. We had some from Bailey Lewis, Michael Machetta and Kaylin Hopkins. So I got you guys. We are going to ask Stephanie those questions. So, whew. all right, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you uh, you coming out. And I know there's a million things probably going through your mind right now as you prepare for the PCT. So thank you for giving us about an hour of your time tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm just, <laughs> I, I, 
like you said, there's a million things that go through your mind as you're approaching something like this. And lately it's been harder for me to feel the excitement because I'm just one task after another trying to get things ready to go. And so taking a pause to have a conversation like this helps me feel that excitement. So I really, yes, I love that. All right. So we're going to be in your happy place all tonight, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Stephanie, let's start just getting a little bit more background on who you are as a person. I think probably a great place to start is how did you get into hiking? Can you tell us about your hiking story? Well, my family was quite surprised when I decided to hike the Appalachian Trail because when I was little, anytime we'd hike as a family, I was usually the one who was crying. Oh, no. the youngest, the shortest legs, hardest to keep up. And so at some point or another, I felt like I, I was being left behind or I couldn't keep up. And so there were a lot of tears. And oh. when I was in college, I went to school at Wilkes University in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Okay. And there was this beautiful state park nearby, Ricketts Glen. And if you've mm. never been, there's over 20 waterfalls in a six mile loop. Yes. It's absolutely incredible. And so that was only about 45 minutes away. So it was probably around the end of my junior year. I had an experience that brought me there and I just fell in love with it. That's awesome. Yeah. And it was very therapeutic for me. So it wasn't just, oh my goodness, how beautiful, but being around moving water just spoke to me. And so I had gone camping for the first time with the environmental club at college. And I started to think to myself, well, what kind of really cool remote places could I see if I could carry everything you need to camp? And I thought like I was inventing this new thing that didn't exist. Right, right. (laughs) But luckily for me, there was the internet and I started looking like camping and hiking to go far. And I'm like, oh, there's like this trail called the Appalachian Trail and it goes right through New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And I called my mom the very next day and I'm like, I'm gonna hike it. And she's like, yeah, okay. And suggested I read A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. Yes. And I'm like, I'm totally going to do that. But then, you know, you graduate from college, you get a a real world job and Mm. that didn't come super easy for me. I substitute taught day to day for an entire year before I got my job and it just never happened. I never bought the gear. I never got started. And when you, I feel like, especially for women, it can be intimidating to jump into something that can make you feel so vulnerable Right, right. In an area out of your depth. So I just never did because how do you get started? And I'm not going to do it alone. But when I was going to do my master's program, I was with one of my colleagues. I wonder if she's watching Carla Rodriguez. She's fantastic. All right. She she read the book Wild and suggested Mm -hmm. I read it. And so I did, and uh, we went for a hike before class. We were doing our master's up at Ramapo. So, you know, we went for a hike and I confessed to her that I had this like hope that I was going to go hike the AT someday. And she's like, let's do it. Let's get the gear. Let's go backpacking. I'll try that with you. And, you know, we were both inexperienced, but being inexperienced with someone else can be a beautiful blessing because you might be a little more courageous than you should be because right. you don't know everything you should be afraid of, but you right. can support each other through those moments. And within a year and a half, she drove me up to Monson, Maine, and we got a shuttle to Mount Katahdin and she joined me through the hundred mile wilderness. And I started my southbound AT hike. 
Wow, that is awesome. I have to tell you, Carla just commented that she is here watching. So. <laughs> <laughs> big hearts, big hearts to Carla. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So what year was that? You said that was 2006. So we probably took our first trip in probably 2015, maybe okay. late 2014, but I got on trail in 2016. That was for the AT through hike. Yeah. 2016. Oh my goodness. We could spend the whole night probably just talking about the Appalachian Trail through hike. <laughs> and, and at the time I was 29. I was nine years into my career. I had been transferred from one school where I felt super connected and this strong sense of belonging to a new building with all new faces. And it was very for me professionally, it kind of rocked me a little bit and I was questioning what direction I wanted to go in. I had had some injuries teaching snowboarding and had some neck pain. And at one point, right before I got on trail, I was like up to 210 pounds. Mm -hmm. And so that experience was incredibly transformative. I lost 50 pounds along the way wow. and I found myself in a lot of ways. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So tell us, we, we won't, I know I'm like, should we go into the AT? Like how much can we dive in? Let's, let's go a little surface level on AT because yeah, I want to save it for the PCT. But um, tell us a little bit about it. Like how long were you out there? Did you do it solo? Um, yeah, so I had her to drop me off and she started with me. The 100 mile wilderness is actually about 114 miles. Uh -huh. But after that, she went home to her husband and dogs and I kept going on foot. And it was without doubt, the hardest thing I ever did. It took me five months and 22 days. And in 2016, there were some really tragic forest fires down in, in the South. Gatlinburg and the Smokies was on fire. And at one point I thought I would finish about three weeks early with about 200 less miles of trail because I was going to have to skip them because of the fires. But then every time I approached an area that had been burned, the day before we got there, it reopened. And I say we, because while I set out primarily solo, there is such a beautiful community that forms out there that oftentimes people fall into groups they refer to as their trail family. Mm -hmm. And so I had this beautiful group of people with me that are my family in a lot of ways, my trail family. And so we were very fortunate that we had those reopenings when we did, but it went from, oh, I could hike like five miles a day and still make it to, oh, now I have to hike 18 miles a day to make sure I get back to work on time. Oh, so man. I flew home on December 23rd and I was back on the slopes teaching skiing, I think on December 26th. And then wow. I went back to school on January 2nd. Oh my goodness. Talk about a whirlwind. Yeah. Wow. I, and I know, so we've had a, another woman on the podcast who has talked about her Appalachian Trail through hike. And she talked a little bit about the transition of when you finish and transition back into real life. That must have been extreme for you. I mean, considering the turnaround time, you didn't really have much of a transition time, right? No. And the jobs I do have a lot of structures around them. When you're working with kids, whether that's teaching them to ski or snowboard on the slopes or in a traditional classroom ruled by a bell schedule. Yeah. I had a real hard time learning to recontrol my bladder. I had a bathroom anywhere I needed it. And now all of a sudden I had a, I had to schedule my bathroom breaks and the three minute passings between uh, the change of bells at school. 
sounds like something small, but when you're living it, it can feel so big. Right. Right. Now, do you, do you still keep in touch with your trail family that you connected with on the AT? Uh, I keep in touch with quite a few, you know, I feel like sometimes hikers are a non-committal people and yeah. <laughs> very spread out. So sometimes it's the connection that we keep through Instagram or Facebook. Other times it's phone calls every, every couple of months. Other times it's more frequent. And I am incredibly grateful that when I set out on the PCT, I'm going to have one of my members of my trail family that I finished with on the AT. She oh, is wow. going to join me as well as someone I met when I was out on the long trail. He was hiking the Appalachian Trail, and they're actually one in the same for over 100 miles. Mm -hmm. So we got to know each other out there. And because he was going southbound as well, when he got to New Jersey, I was able to help them out, give them a place to do laundry, shower. And so I'm actually, I started the AT solo, and I have two people to start the PCT with. That is, that is so cool. That's really neat, man. Um, Okay, I have to ask you, do you have a trail name? I do. All right. You got to tell us. It's pancake. Pancake. Oh, there's got to be a good story behind that. What's the oh, there's story? always a story. And <laughs> there are a lot of people who go by pancakes and it's usually has something to do with how many they've eaten at some point in time because right. the hunger, hunger gets real. But uh, for me, it was because in the hundred mile wilderness, I met a, a hiker that felt it really important for me to have this beautiful experience. Just south of Caratunk, Maine, there is a river crossing by canoe and the bottom of the canoe actually has a white blaze on it. Just south of there, the shelter has a blue blaze trail to a sporting camp where the owner will cook you a dozen patriotic pancakes for $9. They're patriotic (laughs) because they have apples, raspberries, and blueberries. So they're red, white, and blue dusted with powdered sugar on top. And you know, he fried it in some real fat because it was, oh yeah, (laughs) like you could bite into it. And it wasn't that canned fruit. It was fresh fruit, which I hadn't had for weeks. Right. And so she felt it so important. I have that experience. I'm so grateful for that, that she gave me the $10 cash and said, I want to buy you breakfast. You just have to promise you stop there. Wow. I had convinced my friend Wallaby that we should only hike a three mile day because those pancakes are important. Now, usually you're leaving town and, and you've got a full pack and you just you know, you get out there and you crush some miles. So the three mile day kind of raised an eyebrow. I'm like, but I hear the pancakes are amazing. Right. So we got the pancakes. They were everything I hoped for and more. There were hummingbird feeders though, around the entire porch of this place. And I have never seen so many beautiful little birds in one spot. And it was this whole experience. The gentleman who caretakes for the place, he offered us bags after we ate to take our pancakes if we didn't finish them into the woods and the woman next to me said oh no thank you and he looked so heartbroken I'm like I'll take them (laughs) so I packed my leftovers and hers and ate peanut butter pancake sandwiches for days and that I was with he was fast I didn't have to like I had to worry about keeping up so I would pack early in the morning I'd head out there and then any northbound hiker I saw I was like have you heard about these pancakes <laughs> them as if I were reliving the moment right and without fail every one of them got to wallaby and said are the pancakes really as good as she says they are and that's when he decided he would call me pancake pancake what an awesome story behind that name 
That's so funny. So when you go to the PCT and you're meeting these two friends, do you guys only call each other by your trail names or do you use your real names? How does that work? I think it varies from person to person. I don't really know what they're going to do because my friend that I met when I was out on the long trail, uh, the trail name I knew him by, he later discarded. So I'm not really sure what to call him. <laughs> I know his <laughs> real name, but I think we're going to have to get a new trail name. And I haven't asked Twirl if she'll be keeping that name or if she'll be <laughs> by something new. And I do know her name too, but we bonded when I was pancake and she was twirl. So I'm sure when I see her at the airport, I'm twirl and pancake. I love that. I love asking hikers the story behind the trail names because there's always something great behind, behind it. So, okay. So you got the Appalachian Trail was in 2016, took about five months. And then the order that I read closer, I always say closer to the slow side of average. Cause they say average is four to six months. I was yeah. only, really only a week away from six, but it sounds fancy when we well, say, I, I would argue that anyone who does a through hike of the Appalachian trail is very far above average. <laughs> I mean, that's just my opinion. Uh, it's pretty incredible. So, um, the order, so then the order that I read your other long trail, um, long distance trail completions. Was that chronologically accurate with the, no. Okay. All right. So you got to straighten that out. So, so walk, walk us through the next big through hikes that you had after the Appalachian trail. So I hiked the Appalachian trail and it wasn't a through hike, but the next thing that I feel a little bit like humble brag about is I spent spring break that year, uh, sleeping at the base of Tuckerman's ravine and winter summiting Mount Washington to ski the snow fields and then wow. down the shoots off the side of the ravine. And I, I, it was a humbling experience. I lost some skis uh, more than once, <laughs> which has not happened in quite some time, uh -huh. but it was absolutely incredible. I now think retrospectively, I was dealing with some hip stuff that mm -hmm. I actually got fixed last summer surgically. So I think maybe there was some of that going on. Um, but who knew, yeah, you right. know, it's yeah. hard. It's, it's terrifying. It's very easy to be out of balance when that happens. Mm. So then that summer, Carla and I hiked the Northville Placid Trail and we go southbound. So that's what we did, which was very challenging because the description online is written northbound. So I had to try and reverse everything ahead of time. And sometimes things are better blazed northbound as well. So it wasn't uncommon for us to have to look over our shoulders to try and navigate. Okay. But we had some of the coolest trail magic out there. And yes. for those that don't know about trail magic, those are all the little acts of kindness that people perform along the way. Mm -hmm. And it can be anything from a little bit of food left out, or in this case, we had someone offer us a place to stay in Pasico Lake where she had been struggling with some shoes, got her some shoes, but then took us sailing. What? <laughs> So we got to go on a sailboat ride in the middle of our through hike of, of the Northville awesome. Flat Trail. And I was just so grateful that I had the foresight to say, I think instead of extra underwear, I'll bring a bathing suit because I think there's a lot of families around these lakes and it's better to be prepared if I might want to go swimming. And so we really got to enjoy that experience. That is so <laughs> cool. What an awesome experience you guys had. Absolutely. And so after the Northville Placid Trail, so that was summer of 2017. Okay. Summer of 2018, we headed up to the Long Trail. 
And I did about half of that with Carla. The other half, I was solo for part of it. And then that's where I met one of the hikers that will be joining me on the PCT. So I, I was never alone for long. And then summer of 2019 was the long path of New York. But it, to be fair, it wasn't just the summer. I had spent from January till about June doing the Southern hundred miles or so, because there's a lot of areas there where there is no camping. And yeah, right. so I did a lot of Uber supported hiking where I'd uh -huh. park and then Uber to the other end of where I was going and hike myself right. back to my car. And, you know, we live close. So I did little weekends and overnights. And then I hiked the Northern 250 heading southbound. And we saved a little piece that we actually use during marathon training because in 2019, I have two friends, the three of us go by the blister buddies. We trained <laughs> the Marine Corps marathon for Carla's 50th birthday. That's and awesome. so we actually used a few of the sections, especially the one that's the heritage path. Mm. It's known by that name as well, made for some really great spot for some long distance runs. That is awesome. So, um, and just if you're listening, right? So the long trail, Vermont long path is new is it, new is it in New Jersey or is it all New York New York New York okay cool I mean you kind of you dip your toes in New Jersey when you cross the George Washington Bridge right. it actually right. starts in New York City right but it's New York <laughs> that is awesome man okay so before now we're kind of brought up to speed before we jump into the PCT I gotta ask like what is it about the long distance through hiking, because that seems to be your niche. Like, what is it that you're so attracted to? What is it that kind of sparks that passion? Because you obviously are passionate about it to be spending this much time and investing, you know, hours, I mean, days, months, years, everything into it. So what what is it about these long distance trails that you find so intriguing? It might take me a while to answer that question. Okay. <laughs> I, I think it's a very multifaceted thing. Right. I think part of it is the pure sense of adventure. Like how cool is it to feel so free that you can put a backpack on and walk out the door and you can take care of yourself for the next six months without having to worry about more than how far do I want to walk today? Right. What am I going to eat for dinner today? Do I have enough water in my pack? And like some of the questions you ask can be like real fearful things. And they're like really important life questions. Like, do I have enough water? Right. This storm dangerous enough that I need to seek shelter now. Right. Um, you know, some of them are real serious questions that in the moment can be very stressful. Mm -hmm. But it's all like a physiological kind of a stress. Right. And I find being out in these nature spaces, I can kind of go to battle with some of the hard stuff emotionally, mm. and I can kind of get a sense of calm from what sometimes feels like a very artificial stress that the structures of society kind of create. Okay. And at the same time, it's, it's like a little dose of therapy. And I've right. never been happier than when I live so simply. But there's also this beautiful community around the trail. So even when I was not out hiking a lot, 
I love to go for shorter hikes locally. And I used to own a house up in Vernon about five miles from the trail. And if oh, I met nice. someone that was out there through hiking, it was not uncommon for me to say, what can I do to help you? Or do you want to like do laundry, take a shower and made some friends I took home and, and took care of them and gave them an opportunity to slack pack through the state. And I think there's something very real about the way people interact when they're vulnerable. Mm. And it's been true for me, both on the giving and the receiving side of that, that there's like this instant connection that comes from that. And people tend to take care of one another so much better because we're all vulnerable when we're out there. We're all facing that same threat of the impending storm or the overwhelming drought. And I think that there's something about that that brings people together in a beautiful community. I love that. What an awesome answer, Stephanie. (laughs) (laughs) I spent a lot of time thinking about it because as supportive as my family is, you know, it's a very non-traditional way to live your life. So I think they've had a lot of concerns about my overall well-being and whether or not, you know, why am I quitting a really good job with good benefits that is a traditional career path? Like things are very stable. Why would I go make that harder for myself? There's gotta be something in it for me. And there really is. And I absolutely love it. And I think for me, it's not just, it's not the accomplishment. I mean, I hiked the AT and it was phenomenal. And the day I got there, I was like, okay, PCT 2020, who's in? I just- it's about the process. Mm-hmm. And I, I tease my friends sometimes that you got to learn to love the uphill climb mm-hmm. because when I'm climbing an uphill, that's when I kind of go to battle with the inner critic. Mm-hmm. And if there's any place you're going to start to face self-doubt or self-criticism, I feel like the heart of it brings that out and that I learn a lot about myself when I choose to do that. I love that. Oh, that's this is such good stuff, Stephanie. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so do I. That's why I keep doing it. <laughs> it's so great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, let's jump in to, we're about halfway through. So this is, we're, we're right on schedule here with the PCT. Why do you want to do the PCT? Well, for all those reasons I just said. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but also... Because like, I'm going to walk through three distinctly different ecosystems. Like how cool is that? I've never seen a glacial lake before. I'll get to walk over volcanoes and through the desert all on the same trip. Right. Right. That's awesome. Oh my goodness. All right. (laughs) I'm going to hit you with a couple of the questions that we had because they're, it's good timing here. This is a this is from Kaylin Hopkins wants to know, this is a perfect question to start off. What has your preparation been like physically and mentally for the PCT? So this is a good question to start with. That is a great question, Kaylin. And I will say that I feel much more mentally prepared than I feel physically prepared. Mm. So I was ready to go 2020. The blister buddies and I had trained for the 2019 Marine Corps marathon where it was like a monsoon and then it turned to 80 degrees and humid and I etched the outline of my sports bra into my body with chafing. (laughs) (laughs) But I was training consistently and I felt fit and ready to go. Mm. But then the pandemic hit and hikers were asked to consider staying home. And my friend and I were in this moral dilemma of we have the permits. They didn't say you're not allowed. They just said, 
athletes don't right. like, well, throughout marathon training, I felt like my hip was a little weird. Like on the high mile days, it still didn't feel quite right. Mind you, I had taken a really bad fall on the AT about 500 miles from the end where I stood up and went, oh, that was bad. That was bad. That was really, really bad. I'm like, but can I walk? Okay, I can walk. It can't be that bad if I can walk. And I just kind of kept going five more miles that day, 20 miles the next day, 20 miles the next day, had Thanksgiving with the family and jumped right back in to finish the trail. So four years go by. I'm like, it can't be that bad if I've hiked another thousand miles and ran a marathon. But if they're asking us to stay home, why don't I see a doctor? Mm. And I had already had two ankle surgeries in 2019 to prepare to get on the PCT. Sorry, 2020, early 2020, I had these surgeries. I had done a lot of damage from, from chronically rolling my ankles. Mm. And that happened starting at the age of 14. I had a severe sprain and they were just never right after that. And so on the AT, I did a number on them as well. So I I had internal braces made out of Kevlar put in so that when I roll my ankles, the Kevlar will stop it without continuing to damage the tendons and ligaments. So Dr. Badri at One Oak Medical was phenomenal. And, uh, but I, I felt like I had done what I needed to, to fix my body and feel strong again. And so I went to his brother, the other Dr. Badri to check out my hip Mm. and My biggest concern was when I was doing like a pigeon pose in yoga, if I was doing that kind of a stretch through the hip, I could actually get my left shin to touch my chest and my femur no longer felt like it was in the right spot. And he was like, ah, it doesn't really work that way, but maybe we should get an MRI. At which point I learned I had torn my labrum and joint capsule off my pelvis in three spots and that I needed So in July, I had hip surgery and he, you know, tightened things up, reattached them. And so after what felt like an entire year of recovery between right ankle, left ankle, left hip, I feel like I could be better physically prepared. I am very concerned about feeling asymmetrically strong. Still, my right side is without a doubt stronger. And I couldn't figure out exactly what, because I'm not weak by any stretch of the imagination right now. Mm -hmm. I went out on Memorial Day weekend to do a little test training hike. I did the Black Forest Trail in Mm -hmm. Slate Run, Pennsylvania. It's 42 miles, but a lot of elevation gain. It's gnarly. Yeah. And so I started at about 11 on Saturday and I hiked about 10 or 11 miles. And then on Sunday, I hiked 21 and a half miles. And then I did the last 10 in the morning on Monday. And so I was able to do it, but my right knee was screaming. And so I came home and bought a mountain proof knees program and started working through it. And the third weekend, there was a certain exercise, just body weight exercise that I started on the right. And I did 43 reps before my form started to fail. And when I switched to the left side, I did 13 and then my form started to fail. And so now I know exactly where I'm weak and it's a little terrifying because I don't want to risk injury going out so asymmetrical. So I'm continuing to work the program. And when my friends and I get on trail, we're aiming to eight to 15 miles a day to start. And I know I can do that. And it's not that much elevation gain and loss at the very beginning where we're starting. So I'm hoping to continue with the body weight training and strength training while I'm out there to start my day and gauge where I am to kind of inform whether or not I can push a little harder or if I need to back off and take a little bit more rest. 
I did also shift my focus because I wanted to reincorporate running once I was cleared. That was about January. And I started zone two training. And are you familiar with zone two training? Um, I am, but but please tell it to, <laughs> to, to the guests, uh, our, our, our audience here. Basically, the theory behind it is that you better train your aerobic system when you stay in the heart rate zone two. And so I had heard about if you're really looking to build your endurance, to aim for about 80% of your running training to be in zone two. And that was so hard because <laughs> I was running nine, 10 minute mile, more 10 minutes, but sometimes nine, if it was short and I was going fast and then I had all those surgeries and now I'm re-entering running and I'm doing like a 14 and a half minute mile. <laughs> and to stay that slow, when I've learned to embrace the challenge, right. Was so hard for me. Yeah. And then I spent some time being a little resentful and angry that I didn't know this information sooner because every time I've ever tried to learn to like running, I hated it and it never stuck. Probably because my heart rate was like, oh, 168 and it was way yeah. too high, way too hard all the time. And right. I never got any better. Mm. It was always, and I did get better, but like, it was always a struggle and it was right. never something I enjoyed. Right. And so learning to back off enough that my body could learn to run more efficiently was really hard. I'm still not good at it. I don't go running as often as I'd like because there's part of me that's facing the whole, yeah, but like, you're gonna run like a 13 minute mile, right? Like, <laughs> and I just wanna let them rip and just go sprint and test out these new joints, right? Like I'm a bionic right. woman, let's go. Right. <laughs> but I keep trying to, to visualize this idea of becoming more efficient so I can be more successful with my long-term goals. Mm -hmm. And while it's really hard to sometimes turn off the, it was a rough day, let me go pound the pavement and let it all out with the, but I wanna be compassionate and not take it out on my body and be mm -hmm. gentle with myself so that I can continue to pursue these things that really do benefit me in the long-term. That is probably a very real struggle for most of us involved in running. <laughs> most of us that especially, you know, running or hiking, I mean, whatever physical activity you're doing is a stress reliever. That's definitely a tightrope, I think, to balance of, you know, you know, teeter-totter. So I, I understand what you're saying loud and clear. Um, that's awesome. Okay, so preparation is going pretty well. So zone two training, now some strength training to try yeah. and fix my imbalances and the mental training is things like going out and trying the hard training, uh, training hike and trying to stay diligent in not overdoing it and making sure that I am honoring what I really need right now. That's awesome. Um, let's talk about gear and how you prepare for something like this. I mean... <laughs> How do you, where do you even start with getting ready for a trip like this? Um, Jessica Smeo just popped in a question. What's your favorite piece of gear? So amidst this discussion, you can, you can uh, touch on that a little bit, but yeah, talk to us about where, like, I don't even know where you start. I mean, you've got the experience of the other long distance hikes. So that's gotta be, I think probably a real leg up, but as you're preparing for the PCT, like, do you have a list? Are you checking things off? Like, what does that look like? That would be a great idea. And I should really do that. <laughs> <laughs> but the more stressed I am, the more in my head I get. So okay. I got like all these ideas all over the place. But what you said is also very true in that 
I have a lot of experience. So I kind of have a base set of gear that gets adjusted based on the time of year and the specific demands of where I'm going. Right. So my base set of gear is always, you need a shelter, you need insulation, a cook system. If you choose to cook food, Mm-hmm. I always bring trekking poles for me. They're, they're a non-negotiable with the number of times I've sprained my ankle and used them like crutches. Right. That's something right. I have to have. You're always going to have the backpack above and beyond that. It's seasonal, right? Like you might add a jacket or some rain pants or a raincoat, and it all depends on where you're going. And right. so I say the place to start don't make it hard. Read other people's experiences, right? So I, I read every blog post I can get my hands on. I follow the Instagram hashtags and I'm on the Facebook pages for PCT 2021. But I also have to look at it occasionally. And then I have to tune it out because everyone's in a panic that there's still about 24 inches of snow at Hearts Pass. And that's not even the highest elevation. And I've learned they call it cascade concrete because this time of year, it is melting and refreezing overnight so much so that it's incredibly hard pack. So I did ship myself to the first hostel I'm staying at when I land in Seattle. I shipped an ice axe and micro spikes. And while I usually prefer to hike in trail runners, I'll be starting in boots and a few things like that. You know, those are the seasonal kinds of changes that that gear I'll mail home when I'm done, hoping that'll be sooner rather than later. But I'll want to make sure that I don't do that until probably a week after I've passed through an area where I thought, oh, I probably could have used that here, but it's all melted, right? Like I got to make it through like a week or so of areas where there could have been snow and it's gone already. Right, right. Um, This is a good question to ask now then. Uh, This is from Michael Machetta wants to know, how does the resupply work? So how does that work? I know we were chatting before. Can I go grab one real quick? Yeah, yeah. We were chatting in the the pre-show before we went live about your resupply. So um, she's going to go off stage here. Give us some. Don't worry. I'm already back. Tiny back. Here she is. (laughs) (laughs) So. Um, I do want to circle back once I show the resupply too, because I don't think I answered the question about my favorite okay. gear, although I guess my technicals yep. might be one of them. Uh-huh. Um, I generally use flat rate shipping boxes because I know how much it's going to cost me right. and I know how much space and they're very routine. And for most hikers, they'll do a mix of mailing their themselves food to towns where it's not really well accessible, but there's maybe a post office or a hotel or hostel that's willing to accept packages for hikers. Mm-hmm. I like to eat specific things and I love food. <laughs> so on my first AT hike, I dehydrated all my own food ahead of time and left it with Carla, whose trail name is True Friend, because then she turned around and mailed me resupply packages the duration of the trail okay so this time i looked and on average people send about 30 to 35 resupply boxes and oh my goodness that's so much coordinating and logistics oh yeah well so i should say most people don't send that many most people resupply that many times and so for most hikers they're going to get to town and if there's a grocery store they're going to buy ramen noodles and Norris pesticides, tuna packets, tortillas, peanut butter, pop tarts, and all the junk food you can buy because four to 8,000 calories a day is very real. 
Oh my goodness. But I like my food. I eat a primarily vegetarian diet. So I do think that it's important for me to have quality food. Okay. Um, I did miss one resupply box on the AT and had to resupply eating things like cheese and summer sausage. And I have IBS. So I'll leave it at that. I prefer yeah. to have my own food. That's so I prepared. Yeah. So I prepared 25 boxes that will be mailed to me along the way. And I'm, I, I would say I have about half those places pre-planned. Okay. I would like before I get on the plane to plan the other half. But even if I do that, there's the very real chance that my pace may vary throughout. And even if I were to plan every spot out now, I'd probably have to text and say at some point, like send the box here instead. And so there is communication and usually I will reach out one or two towns ahead of time. So let's say I stop at town one, I'm already requesting the box for town three to be sent so that it's there ready and waiting. And it's full of things like, this is a luxury. I bought a prepackaged meal <laughs> for like every other box. Okay. And that was only because I bought something at REI and then returned it. And I'm like, well, I can always use food. Okay. Lots of peanut butter, <laughs> things like tortillas. I've got cliff bars. I've got um, these great little like real fruit bars and oatmeal. And my meals are usually a lot of beans and rice and quinoa and things like that. Okay. And Car you said Carla is sending all these out? So she sent all the ones for the AT and this time my parents are going to help me out quite a bit, but she's also a point person for when I need specific gear that my parents may be less familiar with. She can help kind of sort those things out too. Man, Carla sounds like the bomb.com. <laughs> Carla. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. My hope is that everyone has a true friend in their life that can support yeah. them the way she has for me. That's awesome. That's yeah. so awesome. Um, did you want to circle back to the favorite gear item? Oh, yes. So for me, my favorite gear at this point is the stuff that I started with that is still going strong without a doubt. Mm -hmm. And so I use a jet boil stove, which is kind of heavy because most of my gear is ultra light. And uh, that is not. Right. <laughs> it's pretty heavy, but it's very fuel efficient. And it was one of the first pieces of gear I bought. And I still have it 3000 miles later. And the same is true of my trekking poles and my trekking pole straps definitely gave out on me, but I went, I got some cord, I tied some knots and I sewed a new handle on it. So now they're even custom. And I just feel like, I feel like they're extensions of my arms and have supported me that like, I'm going to cry when they break because it'll happen eventually. Um, I have used the same tarp the entire time I've been out there too. So wow. that's coming with me on the PCT and it'll be the first time that I'm relying on being able to set up a tarp as a ground shelter using trekking poles and stakes. Oh, so, so you're not taking a traditional tent with you? No. Wow, okay. So when I was on the AT, I actually did the whole thing with a hammock and a tarp. And so this really? wow. tarp, instead of hanging, I hung it asymmetrically from the tree. So it would have better coverage over my hammock. And so now I am still going to bring a hammock. It's a teeny tiny and as light as I can get one. And when I can, hopefully I'll get to hang in the hammock a little bit. 
Um, but there are stretches above tree line for too long where I would need to ground camp and through the desert, I won't be able to hang either. So right. I'll just, I wanted to have the best of all the worlds, right? Yeah. So I the hammock. I wanted to be able to sleep on the ground and this was the best system I found for that. Right. right. Okay. So now we have to ask you, cause you mentioned ultralight. What does your pack weigh in at? Do you have, do you have a, do you have a weight? <laughs> I did not weigh it because the more experience I get, the more I'm like, oh, I'll take this luxury item or I'll take this one. Okay. Um, I did put, I think all of my gear in and I took it to school to show my students and I weighed it that day and it weighed 19 pounds and that had two liters of water in it. So I'm probably about 15 pounds of gear, but I did not bring them the ice axe and the micro spikes. So like the ice specific gear I didn't have in there. And I didn't have food and food weighs about two pounds a day. So it'll get much heavier than that at some point. Oh my goodness. I am always also just didn't have the bear canister, which alone weighs three pounds. Yeah. And, and the bulkiness of it. I, you know, I'm always so blown away by hiking weight for, I mean, it's just, it's so impressive the amount of weight that you guys carry, you know, I'm, I'm over here complaining. Yeah. I've been training for um, a longer race in the, in the fall. My pack is now up to, it's like almost 12 pounds. I'm like, oh, I'm dying. You know? <laughs> well, when, so when I started the AT, my base weight was actually nine pounds, but then I added like 35 pounds of food. Oh man. <laughs> so I have kind of, I carry a little bit more gear now. And that was one of the things I said earlier about, you know, the naivety of inexperience and inexperience starting together. I, I went ultralight out of the gate because I met some ultralight hikers on my very first backpacking trip and they were incredibly knowledgeable. I'm like, this is the way to go. And I learned right. everything I could from them. Uh -huh. But I also, now I've taken a wilderness first responder course. So I can tell you right now, my first aid kit weighs at least 10 times what it used to weigh. Yeah. And that's a good thing, right? Yeah. You know, you and so that. like, that's weight that's worth carrying. Right. And when I first went out, I had my iPhone and I had a guidebook and that was about it. And now I use maps on my phone a lot more. So like I carry a spare battery and sometimes right. I carry an extra spare battery if I want to take some photos and videos. And so little things like that, they say ounces lead to pounds and when I'm willing to carry the weight, I do. Right. And if I go, this is ridiculous. My pack is too heavy. I'll chuck a whole bunch of stuff in a hiker box somewhere. Right. Which, are you familiar with hiker boxes? Yeah. 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 Leave what you don't need, take what you do. And, and we all help each other out. So that's awesome. Um, okay. I'm going to keep um, asking a few questions. Actually, Jess just asked another one. We'll pop this in real quick. Where did you find that wilderness class that you took? Ah, I went on Google and searched wilderness first responders. Um, it was, it was a wilderness medical associates course. Okay. And I managed to book it for my spring break week in Buena Vista, Colorado. So I went wow. in, in a yurt in Buena Vista, Colorado for a week in April. And I oh. learned some wilderness first responder skills. And that was pretty How awesome. awesome is that? Jess, I think we should do that. Head out to Colorado. <laughs> there are plenty of places a little closer to home, but if you could, I mean, the stay in the yurt was super cheap. Now I get like a life skill and a vacation in this stunning place where everywhere I look, I go, <laughs> the mountains. like I get as giddy as a little kid in awe of these. Yeah, that is 
genius. <laughs> I love that. It wasn't uh, my first like uh, working vacation back in 2015 when Carla, true friend, and I earned our master's together. When I was graduating, I called her up because, well, I told her it was to talk me out of something, but really she's the one to go to when I need support. I told her that I was interested in treating myself as a graduation gift to a yoga teacher training course, but I picked one that was a two week, 200 hour intensive oh. in the rainforest of Costa Rica. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> So I got to, I, I lived at the edge of a rainforest with howler monkeys as my alarm clock for 200 hours of yoga teacher training for two weeks. And it was, wow, incredible. that's unbelievable. That could be an entire podcast episode by itself. <laughs> for sure. That is awesome. Um, okay. Let me, let me keep hitting you with some questions. Yeah. Here. Um, so let's see. Bailey, well, you you answered this in the beginning, but she wanted to know if you read the book Wild and uh, <laughs> any tips that you learned for her from her from that. You know, I think of her from time to time, especially when shoes don't fit quite right. <laughs> and there has been a time where I have said to someone, "I'll leave them anonymous unless they want to <laughs> join in and, and let the world know," but their shoes were too tight. And in the woods, we're going, didn't we learn anything from Cheryl Strait? <laughs> because there's that iconic scene where the boot could no longer be on her foot. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, I, I experienced that myself on the long path. I went from having worn trail runners for years to going, my ankles are pretty messed up. I know I probably need surgery, but maybe I'll try my boots again. But my boots were just too small. And you get all these awful things going on from not just blisters and soreness, but like if they're too short, your heel and your whole Achilles can swell up in your shoe. And then just every step is wretchedly painful. Right, right, right. So that that's, it's more a moment where you, you learn it for yourself and you go, didn't I, shouldn't I have learned that from her? Right. Like sometimes you got to go through it to really learn it. Yes. I love that. There, there you go, Bailey. Um, let's go back to Kaylin. She's got a list in here. Um, what have been the costs of the trip, amount already spent, amount you anticipate to spend associated with the PCT, and then do you have a target timeline to finish? So each trail is a little different, and of course the cost can vary tremendously based on how you choose to hike it. When it comes to gear, they say there are kind of like three things you consider. Cost, durability, and weight. Mm. And you can have two of them the way you like. So it can either be lightweight and durable, but really expensive, or it could be inexpensive and lightweight, but then it's not going to last you. Mm. Or it could be expensive and, or sorry, inexpensive and heavy, right? right. Like you don't get to choose all three. Right. And so they say you can do a PCT hike anywhere from like three to $5,000, a lot of that depends also on how long you spend time in town, because mm -hmm. the reality is if you already own your gear, the only thing you have to pay for for the next six months 
are things you choose to pay for. So what food you're eating, mm-hmm. if you spend one night in town versus two, whether you choose to go into town at all and town is where it's at, right? That's where you're buying food, but that's also where you might choose to go out to eat or mm-hmm. have a beverage or choose the more expensive place to stay rather than the bunk room. And those are the costs that can add up and make a big difference overall. I don't know exactly how much I spent on gear just because a lot of it is stuff that I've had since the AT, but I did consider this when I saw it posted. And I think if I were to replace some of the pieces that would really need to be replaced, like let's say all my gear goes missing. If Mm -hmm. I were to kind of build it back up with the quality of stuff that I'd have, I'd probably be shelling out about $1,500 right off the bat. But if that's going to be my home for the next six months, that's some pretty cheap rent right there. (laughs) Yeah. And, and knowing too, now how long the gear that you already have has lasted. I mean, that's, that's a really good investment. It sounds like. Absolutely. And I think also, um, the big costs for me that are kind of a challenge and something I'm still struggling with, and it, it can kind of be a can throw you a curveball are the life expenses that continue mm-hmm. when your income stops. And so finding health insurance, which yeah. I thought I had a good option other than Cobra, because that was going to cost me a fortune. But yeah. now the state website is saying I need different documentation and paperwork, and it's a little overwhelming for me. But that's mm-hmm. something that's important, and I'm going to have to sort out, and I'm going to have to pay, right? Okay. So I, this is actually going to be the first time in my adult life that I haven't had more than one job and I'm going to have none, right? Like this past year was the first time I worked one job prior to that. Any year I worked, I was working anywhere from two to four jobs between my main job teaching, but then also the seasonal work that I got to supplement that so that I could still afford my mortgage and go for a one month hike or fund my, my expensive hobby of skiing. And, you know, I I taught skiing and snowboarding because it made that expensive hobby so much more affordable, but it also gave me the money to save for the summer because I wasn't getting paid in the summer as a teacher. Right, right. That's awesome. And that, you know, you just answered another one of her questions about what type of a job do you have that you can take the time off? Uh, so we, we nailed two birds with one stone. Yeah. So I, I teach skiing and snowboarding. I'm a middle school science teacher. I have also worked at a ropes course, been a zip line tour guide. <laughs> um, what are some of the, I've been a camp counselor for many a summers. And so there, and I've written curriculum and, and done stuff like that to supplement my work through work. Mm-hmm. And I'm a club advisor at school, like all these added things that I kind of clumped together. And I also live a very frugal life most of the time just to be able to build up the savings to be able to do something like this. It's been really hard to learn how to say no to the stuff that maybe you kind of want to do, but if it's going to be a 20 or $30 night, that could be a hostile stay out on trail Mm. and starting to do those cost benefit analysis and asking where your values lie and what's really important and whether or not you're willing to make those sacrifices to go sell the house, quit the job and live the adventure. <laughs> right, right, right. That's awesome. And, and so um, let's get that other question. Do you have a target timeline of when you think you're going to finish or is, is there, do you, are you going in with a goal or is it like it's going to take as long as it's going to take? What's your approach to it? My goal for the last five years since I got on the AT was sell the house, quit the job, live the adventure. So um, 
I don't have to return to work. I have kind of a timeline in my head of how long I should be able to live off of my savings if I do it very frugally or if I pick up part-time work in the meantime. If I had it my way, I would love to hike the PCT and then do a winter out west somewhere as a ski bum teaching skiing and snowboarding full time. And then who wouldn't want that little triple crown with the CD? Yeah. <laughs> but a single through hike in and of itself can be incredibly taxing on the body. And every one of those things can just totally wreck you, right? So while that would be absolutely incredible, and I feel like I have the savings to support something like that, I also want to not need three surgeries after this hike, right? Like I want to be gentle on my body and allow it to continue pursuing these things for as long as I want. Mm -hmm. So I don't put a hard and fast timeline on it, but the timing things to consider are, I have to make it through the Sierra Nevada mountains before the snow really hits, which can be as early as October. Mm -hmm. And so the initial part of the hike is a little bit of a push to give yourself the confidence you'll finish before it snows. Um, and that's not finished the trail that's finished the Sierra Nevada mountains after which you go into the desert. So I, they, my friend Twirl did some research and she said, usually a PCT hike will take about a month less than an AT hike if you've done that already. And even though it's longer, it's because it's graded for pack animals. And so there's not as many rocks and roots and really steep steeps from what I understand. I've never been. <laughs> so um, if I do it a month faster, I should finish just shy of five months. That's awesome. Maybe that I'll be home for Thanksgiving. Yeah, I guess. You do a Sasquad run around Thanksgiving? We do. We have these squatchy leftovers, 5K, 10K, <laughs> which will be a breeze for you. My goodness. <laughs> you could walk it backwards, probably. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay, let's ask one more question here. Will you document your experience in any way? If so, will it be daily or just whenever? That's a great question for our listeners on how we can follow you along this journey. Absolutely. I will document it. Please follow along. I'm on Instagram at Mountains of Learning. My website's mountainsoflearning.com. And I also have a Facebook page by the same name, Mountains of Learning. Uh, so those will be kind of my primary tools to share the adventure. I will not commit to daily updates because on the AT, I thought I would write a blog post every single day. And oh, that wow. was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so what wound up happening was I did for like a month and then I went dark and people got worried <laughs> because if it gets overwhelming, right. And then I try and pick up miles, I wind up using all the daylight hours there are to, to hike and hike and hike and hike. By the time I set up camp and eat, I'm done. Right. And so while I would like that, I also think that the PCT has less cell reception on it. So to kind of get out anything can be more challenging. So I will try and update, especially when I get to town and I have cell service and internet and things like that, it'll be easier to update. I should also say I have a YouTube channel, Mountains of Learning as well. Okay, <laughs> But there's right. very little up there because I, I 
found it very awkward to talk to a camera. And so I'm getting better at it, especially having taught remotely for the year. Sometimes yeah. those middle schoolers have the camera and microphone off and I feel like I'm talking to myself. So I, I've had a little more practice, but I would especially love if you are thinking about following along, if people let me know what they're most curious about, because that helps cool. me also fight that imposter syndrome of yeah. nobody really wants to hear what I have to say. So oh if you God. let me know what you do want to hear, that's helpful because I am excited to talk about it. I just don't always know what direction to take it. Oh my goodness. I would encourage you to do more YouTube videos because um, you're so engaging. Oh my goodness. You're so passionate about what you're doing. It would be awesome to share that. And then, you know, the other thing is other people are going to learn from you, right? Like other people who they might be inspired to go do the PCT or, you know, they're planning on doing it and they can look at your experiences and learn from it. So that's if my, there, if there's one thing I would love is if people were inspired to take brave actions, mm -hmm. whatever that is for them, whether that's a through hike or just in their day to day, because people will sometimes get in their own head and like, I get told a lot like, oh, you're so brave or I could never be that brave. Right. But when you think about it, what makes someone brave? Usually people rattle off a whole list of actions. Right. And so rather than worrying about whether or not you're brave, why not take one little brave action, right? And yeah. whatever that is for you, whatever outrageously big dream you have, what's mm. one little action you can take that sets you in that direction? I love that. Oh, I love it, Stephanie. It's such good stuff. See, you already have content for the YouTube channel, <laughs> your, your first chapter. Let me read you a couple of comments about this little thread here. So, uh, so Kaylin Hopkins, Jess Mayo, we, the three of us are adventure buddies, right? We go out and do crazy dumb things together. So Kaylin says that she wants to hear all of it. So <laughs> put it all on there. And then Jess made a really good point, which I would encourage you to. She said, be sure to share the lows so we can see how you rise up afterwards. When you only hear the good stuff, it feels more intimidating, which I think is, is really good um, advice to be, you know, a little bit transparent. I mean, you don't want to share everything, but, you know, to be <laughs> no, but when, when I was on the AT with True Friend, one of our very first shelters in the 100-mile wilderness, so this couldn't have been more than night two or three, we had a group of northbound hikers pass through and it was clear they had traveled together for a long time. Mm. And at night, they kind of gathered in this little circle and everyone went around and shared their highs and their lows for the day. And I thought that was such a beautiful and important thing to do that that was something that I kept for my blog. Even if I didn't write every day, yeah. I kind of had the highs and lows for every day in there because that's the real world, right? We, we never feel those highs if we don't also experience those lows. And it's that dynamic nature that I feel like also allows you to live in the now, right? Like you've got to have all of it. Right. Otherwise you're just chasing the high. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think, you know, not to dive too deep into it, but a lot of social media is like that, right? You kind of oh, for sure. see the sugar-coated, oh, everything is awesome, you know, and not <laughs> the real behind the scenes thing. So I appreciate your transparency even tonight with sharing, you know, your journey with us so far. So, all right, let me hit you with one last question here. Actually, let's do two. I know we're a little bit over time, but I've got two, okay. two last questions okay. for you. Okay, the first one is... What advice would you give to somebody 
hypothetically, they're watching, listening, and they're like, I want to quit my job and I want to go do a through hike. What advice would you give that person? I've been learning to give less advice and ask more questions. Mm. And so I might flip it and ask why. And get that, really that person's not me, by the way, so I can't answer. It. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, love I, my but job. I, but I would, I would ask that question, and I would say, get real about it, and really think about that question inside out, upside down, and backwards. Because when you've fallen down and you're hurting, and maybe you're <laughs> you're almost hip deep in a beaver dam, <laughs> you're going to need to know what your reason why is. Yeah, and it's okay to cry because it sucks. Yeah. But if you don't get clear about why you're out there, that may be your last day out there because you may choose to go home. Mm. Yeah. So it's really important to know. We, we talk about that on the running side a lot of times. You know, I, I don't see, I mean, besides the speed, there's not a lot of differences between running and, and ultra, uh, ultra running and hiking, right? Like you're yeah. It's a ton. I mean, the physical, the mental, everything. And, you know, I've talked about that a lot with my friends is the, the why, right? Like, why are you running all night long? And if you, like you just said, if you don't have a solid why, you know, it's hard to really dig deep. In well, and, and for some people, it's not even that they don't have a solid why. It could be that maybe they're afraid to face their why. Hmm right? Is your, is your why because you're running away from something or are you running to something? Yeah. And so getting clear about the why is important because even if it's because I am running away from something and I need a change in my life, okay, then look for that while you're out there. Right. Right. If it's, I need one heck of an adventure. Absolutely. Get out there. What does that look like? How, How much money do you need? to pursue your picture of adventure. Mm. And so I think once you get clear about your why, it can lead you down this road to all the other questions you need to plant, to take it from this like outrageously big dream to this, oh no, now I'm taking these little steps to get there. Right, right. Stephanie, I think you need to do a TED talk. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Put me in touch with the people. I'll talk about this all day long. (laughs) I love it. All right. Let me, this will be our last question. Yeah. Another dig deep type of question. Obviously, you know, through hiking, hiking has changed your life. What would you say if you could put your thumb on it? What has been the most, I guess, like transformative life lesson you've learned from hiking? Like if say you were, you know, talking with one person or a group of people or your students, maybe, you know, is there something that you can articulate that you know, you've taken away from hiking, you know, you're, you can look back on all your experiences so far. I mean, you've, you've experienced more in the last four or five years than probably the majority of people have in their lifetime, uh, which is a pretty amazing thing. So I don't know, can you put it into words? What do you think? What do you got for us? I think we all live a whole lifetime of experiences, right? Mine just happened to be in this one particular area and I've learned so much from it. 
But there is one thing that I learned out there that I am still working on learning in my day-to-day when I'm in like a normal society kind of a setting. Mm -hmm. And that is learning to love the uphill climb. Mm. And I, I had mentioned it earlier. For me, I love a relentless, grueling uphill climb that leaves my heart rate at 168, 170. And I, like, it's hard. I love it. And I think that comes from a place of appreciation because it lets me know exactly where my mindset is. Right. Whether I am beating myself up for gaining 20 to 30 pounds from stress eating right before getting on trail, going every step is harder because you gain that weight and learning to flip it to, and that stored fuel that's going to get me the extra miles to camp tonight. And so in those hard moments, I've really learned to kind of lean on my gratitude, but also learning to embrace the challenge. Because knowing where your mindset is can help you figure out what you need more of in your life. That is awesome. That is sometimes when I'm in the heart of the day to day, right? Like I haven't figured out where the uphill climb exactly is, Mm -hmm. or I've, I've tuned out that inner critic that is maybe making things harder than it needs to be. Whereas if I take a moment and learn to, okay, yeah, maybe you gain some weight, but really that can be helpful. Like if I can see where I am, I can learn how to flip that script and I can learn how to face the challenge rather than just feeling like I'm in the drudgery. Right. Right. And I love that. I love that so much about trail running and hiking where a lot of times you don't even realize that you've been equipped with those life skills that you've, you've really learned on the trail, right? You don't realize you have those until you're going through those situations in, you know, we'll call it real life. Um, I think that's, isn't that like the neatest thing where like, listen, sometimes in real life, I still don't realize that this is what's leaving me with this negative feeling until I'm through and I go, Oh, that's what an uphill climb in this situation looks like. Now I know for next time. Right. I love that. It's so good. Um, Stephanie, what? We, go, we go out for a run, right? And sometimes you're running and you're running and you're like, why is this so hard? And right. then you're like, oh, it was a little bit of an incline the whole way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ah, so good, Stephanie. This has been fantastic. I was just talking with a friend on the phone today about this whole podcast series. And every time I'm like just blown away by, I just love how we can have like, you're a through hiker and we can have an ultra runner and just, every, each person's life experiences have been, it's been such uh, a joy for me. I mean, I, I love this so much getting, getting to talk with so many different people and your story was just so fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. (laughs) This is great. Okay. So why don't you tell everybody one more time how they can follow you along? You can maybe just shout out your socials and the website real quick. So we got that all out here so everyone can remember mountains of learning on instagram facebook page and.com that's it that's easy peasy right all right you guys got that i love the mountains and i'm kind of a dork right i love learning (laughs) it's a never-ending process and i'm a teacher so it just it fits me well once a teacher always a teacher right (laughs) that is so awesome again thank you so much stephanie for joining us tonight Guys, if you're listening, we're going to post this on our podcast in the next uh, couple days or so. I got to catch up on the last two. 
We'll get those up live on our podcast. Those are everywhere. They are streaming. The name is Sasquad Trail Runners. You can find that. If you want to find out more about us, just go to our website is sasquadtrailrunning.com. And again, follow Stephanie's journey, Mountains of Learning on social and the website. So until we see you again, everybody, keep it squatchy.